Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rorden. You've got it. Stand, stand up! Very good. Hello and welcome. This is Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. My name is Tom. Rawdon is in here with me. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Oh. Is that creamy? That was cr- <laughs> <laughs> So creamy. Yeah. Now, mate, it's going to be you. interesting for you, uh, the episode. We've got, mm. um, you're hooked up to the uh, 24-hour heart rate <laughs> monitor. Yeah, well, okay, let's throw that out there. Yes, I hey, am. I, warts I am and all, a mate. robot. Warts and all. Yes. The whole to the heart rate monitor. Just uh just the heart rate, like when I train, just staying a little elevated for a little long. So um, I think it's dare say the uh, <laughs> huge amounts of cortisol that the big dog put me under. Yes. That's only been a week or so since I've uh, spread my wings from the CHPC. Yes. But uh, just dotting the eyes crossing the teeth. So uh, the, the doctor just said, hey, throw this on. I went, yeah, cool. So that monitors the heart rate for a 24-hour period of time. And can they then go back and say, right, well, on Wednesday between midday and one... It was really low, relaxed. Low and relaxed. Yes. What was happening then? Oh, yep. I was doing the podcast. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, at about uh, 9.45 last night, it went really high for about a five-minute period and <laughs> came back down. They'll probably ask what that was about. <laughs> I, was yes. at, uh, I went for a run, <laughs> a, a five-minute run. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, then you, you, you just fill in when you exercise uh, you know th- things <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for <laughs> no well no. yeah but anyway what's and all what's and all but uh yeah interesting I'll, I'll let our listener know our loyal our loyal listener know what uh, happened in the coming weeks but fascinating yes big show coming up our mm. special mm. guest on this episode is kamal patel Examine dude yeah yes so those of you who don't know the name would i'm certainly sure know the website Yes. examine.com it's uh, essentially the leading independent and unbiased resource for supplementation and nutrition yeah. data yeah essentially examine what they do is they get all the uh, available research all the data break it down and um, examine it examine it and yes. g- give you <laughs> give you the facts yeah i like that unbiased too you know it's uh it's really cool they have links to all the um reviews but the a b c or d i think a b c d i think they have d as well mm. that's like you know, someone uh, thought that the uh, supplement works, so that, that's that study, but then right up to, to a comprehensive ones that yes. uh, actually show that the supplement worked or didn't work. But So we'll talk to Kamal about what Examine does, how that actually works, and because I guess interpreting research these days is uh. half of the battle, and I think for the layman, uh, even for yes. you and I, really, Rod, yeah. I mean, that, to well, have... As layman as, <laughs> as, they, come. as they get, mm. to have the skill set to go through and actually understand what research means beyond the abstract is quite a challenge. So we'll talk to yeah. Kamal about that. And his individual skill set, he's done a lot of work into vitamin D, oh. uh, different nutrition in terms of inflammation and stuff Steroid like that. Steroid vitamin D. He's, um, he's a very well-versed, so he should be a fascinating interview. Yep. We're going to have a bit of an update on the IFBB Pro James Kant just to follow his progress. Yeah, he's uh, four and a half weeks out at this point in time. From Correct. his first pro show. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity. NCGS. We talk all the time on the program about gluten and, and taking it away from your nutrition, but I guess we've yeah. never really gone into much detail as to what gluten actually is and the various ways in which people react to it. And there's some, yeah. some suggestions these days that perhaps gluten sensitivity doesn't really exist. Uh, no. you know, you know, we well, know. 
Cam slams down a chicken snitty, it's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Or is he? <laughs> well, how long is that piece of string? Yes. Yes. Interesting. All right. We're going to delve into that one. We'll spin the wheel of fortune and that'll be the program. <laughs> if you'd like to contact us, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. No. <laughs> <laughs> but first up, one of our loyal listeners, Mitch, has sent through an email with a couple of questions. Blows a little bit of smoke up uh, behind us uh, to start with, mate. Well, so how I'll, about we uh, hear that we, smoke Oh, blowing. okay. Okay. Hi, Tommy and Rawdon. I hope yeah, this hi. note what finds was his name you again? well. This is Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Uh, first of all, so glad to hear that Rawdon will be keeping on with the podcast as I think you and Tommy complement each other yeah. well in your knowledge and your creamy dulcet tones. Yeah. Well, look, well, he's only human. Yes. Tom. It works well. Couldn't imagine anyone replacing you guys. Blah, 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 blah. Thanks very much. I won't read all of the, the gashing. No, I'll, I'll get a copy of that later. Yeah, sure. Basically, he has been implementing little things here and there. Mm-hmm. He's had an increase in fiber. Um, okay. Working on his general gut health. That's been a focus of his. And uh, he's never really previously applied these seemingly easy fixes. And now he's found his digestion and gut health has, has improved. And he's noticing mm. some significant changes there. Yes. I will admit it's hard to do everything. And I find it easier to tackle one thing at a time. Yep. My next step is lowering my toxic load by avoiding toxicity where possible. Mm-hmm. So I think he makes a very good point there because, you know, we talk about all these things on the show and um, mm. we know what it's like working with an individual or a client. Sometimes you have those people who, boom, they want the cold turkey and you can go from one extreme and, and change everything in their nutrition. Yeah. And that's what they're after because they, they want this drastic change. Yeah, and they do about 20% of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Realistically, it's yes. actually probably more longer term beneficial to actually layer changes in as you go yeah and certainly with what we do in the podcast mate we we don't necessarily need everyone to do everything all at once but if you can pick up little tweaks and and work them in one at a time then uh dot the i's cross the t's dot the i's cross the t's no really good way to do it i mean layer upon layer it's like a like an onion that's what you need to think of it yes yes Um, okay, back to the email. Basically, I just wanted to thank you guys for I feel more and more motivated listening to you guys talk. If I could ever think of a subject I would like to know more about, it would be around the foam rollers and myofascial release. Oh, I recall when I was at the CHPC, I would regularly see Tommy on the ground rolling himself out and wanted to know how important they are to training. I guess I find it really hard to fit it in as I train early in the morning before work and will usually find myself forgoing the foam roller given the time constraints. Would I be getting significant benefit out of my training by using a foam roller immediately before or after training? Could this be done in the evening at home and still get benefit? Keep up the great work. Yes, yes. So, I mean, I mean you made reference to my excessive uh, I did. That was and just quite fresh. And, and that was only last week, yeah. Yes. Uh, we can give your perspective. I mean, you something you do. Look, it is something I do, and... We basically, we're pushing our bodies almost beyond a point where they don't necessarily want to go. As part of that process, there's going to be muscular adhesions, tightness, all these sorts of things. Uh, And everyone's different. People react differently to things. I certainly find the the foam rolling a way of obviously releasing Mm. certain tightness in the body, but it's more of a pain relief and mobility thing for me. Yeah. You'll notice when I do spend time on the foam roller, I work around and over it in a bit of a system. And by the end of it, I'm actually quite little bit of a sweat happening so the, yeah. the heart rate comes up yep. you get a bit of blood into the joints so i find it beneficial in that respect ongoing mobility wise the more time you spend in those mobile positions so sitting down the bottom of a squat whether you're training or not just in your day if you have a foam roll at night get down sit in the bottom of that squat position the more 
Interesting. The greater your ability will be to access those positions as time goes on. So you can yeah. get plenty of benefit from foam rolling outside of training sessions. For sure. Uh, um, but it would be less of a, a neural activating warm-up method and more of a release and mobility approach. More of a uh, long, long-term long maintenance yeah. Uh, yeah. approach. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, you, you've known me for a while. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I am mum for, for stretch, stretching and fun. Well, actually, no, I'm not. I, I really I, that's one thing I'm guilty of I I uh, do very little uh, I, I do have a, you know I'll do certainly a few warm-up sets before I yep but that's really you get the nervous system firing having said that you know I am quite a cripple until I've done a, a couple of uh, sets and, yes. and, and warm the body up like my my uh, left shoulder is quite uh, quite painful but then once warmed up I can I bench 170 last week the other week so that that was great but you know the first uh the, just the bar is quite uh quite and i think you're like that as well the yeah. first few reps are quite painful but then um the joint warms up and and, and yeah and it's good and it, it kind of depends on what your goal is as well because <laughs> i i mean i am naturally quite uh, mobile and lanky you are a much thicker set and really <laughs> mo- yeah. mobility for you is not yeah. necessarily something that you need or want like no. you, like your shoulder mobility is pretty average really very and, and your hips and your knees do as much as they have to for you to get down to the bottom of a squat yeah and come exactly. back out but i mean if you were loose and floppy like i am yeah. you wouldn't be hitting the kind of numbers that you do no you know, you know what i mean loose and floppy tom yeah. that's all you are but <laughs> but um definitely and i was going to add that as well like sometimes that uh like uh, being too mobile is, is disadvantageous um, if you're a power lifter power lifter exactly like you, that, yeah. all you need to move is those three movement patterns and yeah. that's pretty much it so um, tightness uh, and, and I think a lot of the power lifters will attest to this is, is very beneficial for um, those big movements and, and you know to the point where you can only move in those movement patterns you know like uh, anything out of that is, is challenging yeah. but, but sweet in those movement patterns so long term I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm sure it's not a good thing and yeah. y- y- you're perspective on it is, is far more beneficial long term yeah but um but yeah i guess it depends on your goal but but certainly i agree with you foam rolling uh outside of the the session would still be beneficial, still be beneficial. any sort of uh you know that active recovery as well uh blood flow to the muscle you know you can yes. probably help recovery uh and have some benefit too. absolutely so there you are mitch if time is of the essence and you need to you know get the density of your workout in which doesn't allow for foam rolling in the morning well then you're actually better off getting in and training doing what you're doing yep. and if you've got to spare 10 or 15 minutes at night time lower cortisol and have a roll around on the foam yep. roller and get mobile thanks for the email Mitch we do appreciate thanks, Mitch. your continued support Righto, mate. Now, I actually don't know much about what's coming up in this segment. Uh, we're well, doing do I? <laughs> Cam knows. Cam, do you know what's coming up? <laughs> Who knows? Anyone out there in the cafe, put your hand up. The matriarch. The matriarch. You're always uh, looking over. Yeah. I have to uh, yes. drop the strides. Yes. yes. Like the other week. <laughs> Frothing. Righto, James can't. So, he's been through the GAMSAT tests. So, essentially, the... What yeah, that's you, what I think last time we spoke he was that's where he was it. up to so you yeah. changed a few things to basically yep. support his cognitive function so yep. he could do his medical exams and now the primary focus is just back to business four weeks to the stage yeah what have you done what's happening uh, I guess 
exactly what I described I was going to do, I did. So I had to bring calories back up for James because he, like you pointed out, he just his concentration was starting to go. Not that he was on super low calories at that point in time, but he was the calories were coming down. He was starting to do semi-interval sessions combined with low-caloric intake training twice a day, once a day. That two-week split that he was on, uh, so I brought calories up, but what we found when we brought calories up, A, his cognitive function improved. He had the pl- plenty of energy so he could train, study. It was great. Uh, but he was actually getting leaner. So um, I guess in the in the past, uh, and I, I can't speak for you, but uh, for me, a little apprehensive about, and I've been doing it more and more lately, I suppose, but t- taking those calories, uh, the individual out of a deficit and, and back up to baseline or even slightly over when they're in that final sort of a six to eight week stretch to the to the finish line. Yep. Like the school of thought is, you know, they need to be uh, in a caloric deficit. They need to be pushing quite hard to, to elicit change. And the stimulus to get change inherently gets, it's quite linear as well. It gets mm. more intense and, and the calories come down further and, and, you, and you push the body harder and gets that last little, because the body doesn't want to lose that last little bit of body fat. But, yeah. Um, I guess what I've been playing around with lately has been periodically bringing the calories back up to baseline for a week. And what I find, what I'm noticing that's that's doing is A, they're getting more fat loss. So it's ramping up metabolism, I guess, or improving a sluggish metabolism to a more efficient metabolism, back to baseline metabolism perhaps. And they are maintaining more muscle mass. Like James's muscle mass now from you know 14 16 weeks out is, is similar or even i'd have to check the numbers but he might even be up slightly on what he was and traditionally uh, certainly for uh the natural competitors they, they they tend to lose some muscle it's in you know as much as we try and get that perfect balance between deficit but enough protein enough fats to yeah. maintain muscle mass there's always going to be some loss yeah so um i find these 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 uh longer periods sure uh our listeners and, and myself and yourself probably bring calories up for a few days at a time and then we go back in and you know hoping to to reset the the metabolism if you had to call it something mm. um but then you know looking at the research looking at the you know the the fact that that the metabolic rate only really increases due to the thermic effect of food, and then soon after that duration of of two three day of refeeding, the cal- the metabolism ramps back down, and then fat loss is a challenge a challenge again. Yes, and um, I guess Lyle, uh, you know, reading some of his stuff, but he brings calories up for a one or two week period, and, and then diet breaks. Then, yeah, then, McDonald. Yeah, and yeah. then. Um, starts the, the the fat loss uh traditional fat loss uh, journey thereafter mm, so mm. so you've found with the the one week of bringing the calories back up to somewhere in the vicinity of baseline is not only just resetting the metabolism but you are actually achieving some fat loss in those five to seven days but body composition change so i think it's more uh, a bit of muscle bit of going muscle on, on and then the, the 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 body comp is just it's leaner because he's holding more more muscle mass all right another so. question for you when you do bring those calories back up and and what you did with james i guess it will be individual as to what person responds well to what macros but what were the yep. macronutrients you used uh we well for him he doesn't respond that so yeah like you said it's an individual thing him a high, high carb intake doesn't seem to go that well however there were carbohydrates involved more after the pm session yep but in the morning uh first half of the day he had you know more protein, more protein and fats, fats but but quite a high uh increase in fats and uh carbohydrates went up too but to the point where we we brought it up and then i brought it up another 10 percent. i think i might have even went 20 percent over baseline in that final week when he sat gam sat 
Uh, so now he's finished, he did that, he did reasonably well, feels, uh, feels quite confident with that, had a couple of exams that week. And of course the beauty of that is, Tom, is you've, you've, you've re-established where your starting point is, so then you can drop down from that, mm. uh, essentially baseline calories again, instead of being you know, 30, 40% below and then having exactly. to go 50, you, 60. Yes, you've you re-established that baseline, but he's actually at a better body composition exactly. than, he, than he was last time he was at that baseline. Exactly, last time he was, was six to eight weeks out, uh, now he's he's at a, a, a an improved body composition, nice baseline. So, yeah, that's what I've found. I guess with this, uh, with James in particular, we had to for the for the gamsat. So yep. I didn't really have an option. But I've also done it with uh, Dylan. Hi, Dylan, if you're listening. Uh, so he's just doing a photo shoot for. He's a, a strength coach, maximum results training. Awesome guy. Gurilan. Uh, he. Um, I've done it with him as well. So. I guess you need to, the individual needs to be relatively lean That's to start with. That's the key, with. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so these guys are all, if you get them on the biosig on the calipers, they'd all be floating around the, the 4 to 5%. Yeah, sub 5, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So you've got to get them lean, but then once they're there, you've got a lot more room to play yeah. around and bring calories up and recoup some of the muscle mass that you may have lost previously getting to that body fat percentage. Yes. And you almost, they, they, they sort of grow into the show or into the photo shoot. Yep. It's a, quite a... Uh, a far more beneficial headspace to be in yes because they they have a nice calorie uh, back up to baseline calories yep. or caloric surplus at a few weeks out fantastic um, for example Reese three weeks out brought calories back up to baseline and then he's going to do one last deplete into a carb load into the show so yep. at three weeks out he's at baseline calories yep. excellent okay, and he's as leanest he's ever looked coming into the show yep uh, so yeah all, all things uh, being equal it seems to be a quite a revelation a good in, method uh, so we have a uh, some new influences going into the uh, Dubois method moving yeah. forward. Yeah. I guess the key points for the listener out there or any of the guys who are working with, with people and prepping them are the body fat levels. So Rawdon's very fortunate is that you know he has generally longer term preps. He takes yeah. people on with a good length of time. Yeah. Um, and you have That's the key. luxury to get them nice and lean and they're, they're at, a, at a really tight body fat level for periods of time and yeah. you have that flexibility to move within. Yeah. Obviously, if the individual is not lean enough and it's the process of getting them to stage is the battle against the body fat, yeah. you don't necessarily have this luxury for extended times. Yeah, but we'll pause there. Look... I also have clients that uh, that you just have to bring calories up. They're not dropping. You back Again, yourself into a corner. There's only one way to go. Yeah. There's only one way to go. And, and and if you're not assessing, it's really hard to tell because they'll get a, a drop on the scales, which is, well, fantastic. Uh, in one sense, it's, hey, they're progressing. But then when you get the calipers on, the body fat uh, is the same as what they were the week yeah. prior. So it's like, okay, you've had a week of, of being in caloric deficit, doing cardio, and you had no fat loss. The only thing you can do is bring calories back up. There's no point, well, let's drop calories down further. And do more so, cardio. Yeah, and do yeah. more cardio. Like it, it was mm. that, that approach did not work for a seven-day period, so it's not going to work for a 14-day period. Exactly, yep. So the only option you do have, even if you're um, in that individual's four weeks out, um, you know, the calories have to come up. So uh, reduction in training volume, calorie uh, cardio out, calories back up the baseline, reset everything, and then start the fat loss process yep. again. Makes sense. <laughs> Very nice, mate. Now, I'm yeah. sure James wasn't eating any uh, gluten over that period of time. He's no, he, he tends to... He's pretty... He's got his own opinion on things, and I guide him, but he... 
you know, if he doesn't agree with something, he'll say, oh, what about this study? And he yep. references all these bloody studies he'll send to me. What about this? now? And yeah, right, just follow the plan. But yeah, he avoids gluten and dairy in, in, in general. In general, in general. Mm. And I guess a lot of our clients in general probably do. But there is some, some new stuff coming out that is just weighing up the, the pros and cons and, you know, the existence of gluten sensitivity yeah. and, and what exactly that is. So we'll have a bit of a look at that, mate. And I, I guess to start off with, what is gluten? Mm. Um, it's uh, essentially a combination, it's the devil. <laughs> a combination the devil. of uh, proteins which are found in wheat. And yep. essentially the proteins are designed to nourish the plant embryos actually during the germination period. I gather lab they, coat on they provide that one, some, some suppleness to the process because yeah. the, the, the great thing about gluten is it provides that nice uh, stringy elasticity mm. to the dough. Mm. You know, the, mm. all the good stuff about, yes. about you know, all the Turkish breads and Ooh, the, yeah. the decent pizza bases, the real yep. doughy, nice, soft yep. stuff, which you just don't get in a gluten-free base. No, they just fall apart on you. <laughs> so the they crumble. Pizza doesn't yeah, yeah. hang yeah. over. Yeah, doesn't definitely. hang over and bend like that. Yep. So that's what gluten is and... Apart from that elasticity and glugginess slowing down the process of digestion, for those who do have an intolerance or a sensitivity... Yeah, this is a difference. There is a difference. So an intolerance, a gluten intolerance, if we think about people with celiac disease, essentially when they have gluten, it triggers an abnormal immune response Right. in the body. So this is kind of what Charles, like, uh, exactly. Charlie Boy was talking about last yeah. week. So the, the, the impact with an intolerance is that you have an immune response, which I think in essence attacks the, the digestive system. Yes. So all of the symptoms of you know, including with that, you've got the bloating, the discomfort, the, yeah. the gas and whatever, but you are yeah. actually inflaming and damaging the digestive system yeah. with the intolerance. Yeah. Now, people with a non-celiac gluten sensitivity and gluten sensitivity they present with the symptoms of celiac disease so they get the bloating the distension the discomfort the gas yeah however it would appear that there's no actual damage to the intestines okay so, so if they were tested with with the way they test uh, this point in time they yep. would say eh, yes exactly don't have anything exactly We'll get onto the testing process in okay. a second. I know you've got some thoughts on that. Yeah. One of the hypotheses around the uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity is that perhaps the issue that people have with eating these foods is is more related to FODMAPs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yep. a lot we, of the the high FODMAP foods, uh, wheat-based and bread and everything like that. So people who are not celiac take gluten out of their diet and notice an improvement in their symptoms but, but it could actually be because of a reduced amount of FODMAPs and not actually uh, because it's the it's the gluten itself that are causing the issues yeah it's also why people who do eat gluten-free can still experience bloating discomfort and all those kind of things because yes. the issue isn't gluten it's FODMAPs yeah and FODMAPs are uh, FODMAPs are of- yeah the uh, fermentable oligosaccharides disaccharides monosaccharide and polyols so the type of uh, so carbohydrate. It's, yeah, it's, yes. Uh, fructose, galactose, lactose, um, and various sugars. But they're, it, you know, onions, garlic, yep. legumes, pulses, Pretty, uh, milk, cheese, yogurts, apples, yep. fruits, high fructose, all that kind of stuff. So it can be extensive. And, and I know with the, the FODMAPs, it's uh, for people that know they have issues, it's more of a, a dose-related. Same with gluten. You know, yes. If you have a lot of gluten, it, it, it tends to... 
give you issues if it if, if it's going to give you issues. But same with the FODMAP. So you can sort of pick and choose and, and have small amounts and yep. generally the, the individual will be fine. But yeah, interesting. FODMAPs. Yeah. Now, mate, you were talking about an article that you'd um, peered of of uh, Rob Wolf. Yeah, yeah. So he posted up on uh, social media. It's someone we might, uh, well, we've been chasing to try and uh, get on the program at some stage. Yeah, the program would uh, appreciate Rob Wolf, whether he will. will uh, it remains we'll, to be seen. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and the gist of what the, his article was saying is that um, the long story short was along the lines of the, the actual for non-celiac gluten sensitivity, uh, the testing methods for that, uh, which we spoke about, you know, I said, and you get tested and they can't see anything. Yes. It, it, the, um, the means by which they're testing is, is not very accurate. So... Uh, even though they test you and, like you said, they, they don't have issue with gluten, there's a good chance you still could have issue with uh, with gluten, just simply because the testing methods are, are not adequate at this point in time. Yeah, and that's really interesting, mate, because I guess this brings it back then to our... Uh, well, it's quite under the bar of us, really. We've given you a lot of information without actually giving you any information at all. Exactly. But well, if we bring it back to how we... Polywaffle, we call it. Yes, how we view gluten in the trenches mm. and how typically we use this with our clients. Mm. Generally speaking, I would say that we err on the side of caution. Particularly yeah. for those who have a specific goal, whether they're your competitors or one of my clients for a photo shoot or competing or someone who has a specific body comp goal. Best to cover all bases... And uh, even if they, they say, oh, I'm fine, I eat bread and blah, 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 I can do all that kind of stuff. Generally speaking, their plan will be based around what we would term clean carbohydrates as their, as their carbohydrate sources, just to err on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, uh, you know, the client's with us for a uh, specific duration, then, I mean, if there's any chance and, <clears throat> you know, the Paul Carter's, I mean, he's, he's, he's gone out and said that it's a, a load of crap and, you know, get over your gluten sensitivity and... Um, and for some, and that might be the case, but for others, there may well be a, an issue. But like I said to you when we were discussing this, it's like, well, if I eat gluten and I get bloated and I have to go to the toilet 10 times a day, then I'm just not going to eat gluten. I mean, yes. Or, But I guess the point is, was it gluten or was it the additives in the food you eat? I mean, you know, so many it could variables. be. And like yeah. you said, FODMAPs, it might be that. Yeah. So, um, I guess, yeah, definitely are on the side of caution because if it's a specific uh, period that they're working with you, then anything that could possibly cause irritation it would make sense just to eliminate that. Yes. Uh, but long term, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I think uh, you would want to, uh, much like when we talk about carbohydrates, and, um, you know, Charles alluded to this when we take that macronutrient out, the very uh, fuel for the bacteria in your gut is uh, diminished. Yes. So then your gut bacteria die off and then uh, your ability to have a healthy digestion uh, is compromised. So it makes sense to have some carbohydrate. And there might be some merit in having some gluten in your diet just to, you know, I think, uh, and you and I talk about this, um, you know, we take it out for an extended period and then you, the mere, yeah, you look at a, a piece of bread and boom, you, your yeah. stomach gets bloated and you're on, yeah, diving to the toilet. Yes. So, you know, there might be some merit in having, you know, uh, the body dealing with a little bit of everything and, and, and sort of uh, building up to immunity, if you will. Um, but, you know, who knows? It's, uh, yeah, uh, case uh, by case basis. Case by case basis. And um, for me, to be honest, Tom, I think definitely because uh, you know I, I do experiments with, with well, for under the bar you this know, is like my next my, my next I've got point, the electrodes Roy. on the halter monitor checking <laughs> yes. the heart rate got the heart in rate the trenches. monitor that's right exactly and now now that you've got all this uh, free time on your hands you've really dedicated Mate, yourself a, yeah. a lady of leisure 
you've dedicated yourself to some pretty serious research in the field. Yeah, in the field, Tom. Yep. Um, righto, mate. So we, we've got a list of foods that you tested over the weekend. Look, I did. And I, in, in preparation and I, for this segment. Yeah, and I thought I would uh, throw dairy into the mix. You know, Always a good idea. Yeah, just to you know, really see if, uh, if I do have an issue with it. Yep. So, um, yep. So I'll rattle off some of the things that you, you had over the weekend and you can... Oh, this is in one sitting. In Tom. one sitting. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So you started with, uh, what was it, a vegetable samosa? Yeah, I had a couple of samosas. Yeah, there were, there were two. Um, yep. Yeah, okay. So that was the, was the main course, obviously. Uh, well, that was... Uh, well, I did have... Um, uh, I think I had uh, some quarter chicken and chips. Right, followed yeah. with two vegetable samosas. Yes, yeah. samosas, yes. Okay, so the chicken and chips, I mean, there the might have been chips. some cross-contamination, you know, with the chicken schnitty being cooked in the, the, yeah. the chip oil, but yeah. I wasn't sure. So I had to really seal the deal with a bit of deliberate gluten and uh, dairy consumption thereafter. Okay, the old uh, the old Magnum ice cream. Yeah, look... Well, they're, uh, they're not as big as they used to be. No, there was two reasons that I was... Uh, I wanted to see if the size was still yep. uh, like it used to be. Yep, which it wasn't. Wasn't, Which means you had to have two. That's right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I had two. Correct. <laughs> two. You're saying like I'm some sort of gubba guts. Like uh, it's in the name of science, Tom. For under the bar. And then you thought, well, maybe you you back that up with a golden gay time. Well, I know that they have uh, biscuit. So I remember I was trying to do the gluten thing. I had to do that. Samosa, and I thought, well, yeah. maybe that's not enough. So, and to be honest, I was very disappointed with the size of the gay time too. Even the uh, like the the stick, the the the. the you know, mm. Hold the ice cream; it's tiny. We're getting the nod of approval from Cam. He's noticed yeah. the, the change. Maxi bond, myself. Oh, Maxi bond. Right. Yes. Interesting. The old Maxi Maybe bond. next time. Cam. Yes. Very good. So there wasn't room for two game times necessarily, but you did manage to then squeeze in an entire block of chocolate thereafter. It was a three fifty gram, you know, the big, big one. But yep. that one was more along the lines of now. I think they uh, they have dairy in there because it's a dairy milk chocolate glass yes. and a half. Yep. So I really wanted to put that one to the test, and uh, you know they do. Uh, I think they reference it's made in a facility where there could be gluten. Yep. So that was yep. the other reason to dot the eyes, cross the t's in that regard. Right. So if we go through over that, obviously the quarter chicken and chips. There's probably possibly some uh, gluten in the salt of the yeah. chips, but not too bad. Yeah. The vegetable samosa. No doubt you've uh, exposed yourself to a, a wide range of uh, FODMAP foods. Um, yep. There'll be, be some nightshades in there. Definitely. Uh, you know, so there's nightshades in the chips as well. So <laughs> and probably some gluten in the sauce. Um, yeah. I would say. Yeah. We've yeah. got the two times Magnum just to yep. make sure we're hitting the dairy. Two different quota. flavors. Yeah. yeah. One was like a, I think it was like a biscuit chip or something. Oh, some well, sort of cookies and cream. gluten there as well. Yeah. Obviously, a nice hit of uh, dairy just to make sure the ice cream based gluten osity was in there. You went for the gay time with the biscuit bits, which is really good. Yep. And then to wrap it all up, you've um, you've knocked that back with uh, a block of dairy milk chocolate yep just went the plane just I didn't want to c- uh, complicate yeah. things Tom yeah, yeah. hey you just keep it simple keep what it works simple. in the trenches yes and then what was the what were the results made I mean well it was a little a uh, little uncomfortable on Saturday night bloating tick yeah bloating definitely abdominal distension <laughs> significant abdominal distension yes very Re- uncomfortable reverse tortoiseshell reverse tortoiseshell it was very uncomfortable I had to lie on my back yeah, yeah. and the side sort of bloom, rested on my side quite fine but yeah that was challenging but yep. there was definitely some bloating yep some bloating uh, some gas well, yeah, there was there was lots of gurgling. I think you would... Is that gas? Yeah, yeah I think probably, it was gas. That's yep, probably the gurgling. result. And then uh, how were the consistency of the bowel movements? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is in the name of research, Cam. You can block your ears if you like, but our listener would be very interested. So, yeah, there was probably about, uh, I would say, 10 trips 
to the uh, to the bathroom nice. throughout the uh, nice. the first uh, half of the day. Yep. And then it eased off a little, probably about five in the the, the second half of the day. So it really started settling down. But but also um, like now, come Wednesday, I'm starting to uh, you know get back to normal. So it's yep. been a, a rocky road. Yes. You know, but, but all, um, all in the name of a, of a good cause, mate. So you're you're coming <coughs> around now Wednesday. Yeah. You can train Thursday, Friday. Train Thursday, Friday. Start the process again. Start the process again. And look. You know, I think from that we can safely conclude that that I can't really work out what was causing the bloating at all, and because uh, it was just such a schmozzle of uh, dairy and gluten and fodmaps that I'll have to uh, conduct a, another experiment this weekend. Yeah, very well done. It's back, mate. Well done. That was a pretty good feed. Not yeah. one of your best, but it was it was no. not bad. It was, it was not, uh, not bad. Wasn't my best. Pretty calorie dense. Now we're spinning the under the bar wheel of fortune. Uh, the chance for one of our lucky subscribers to take away the Clean Health Podcast Pack, the Deluxe Shaker, the Stainless Steel Water Bottle, the Drawstring Gym Bag, the Cooler Bag for all your meals. Cam, if you wouldn't mind being so kind. Yeah, Cam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was another big yeah. spin. Yeah. There's the matriarch. Is she out there somewhere? Quite right. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Where are we going here? Ooh, I'm going to get ready big. to ruffle the papers. Yep. And we have subscriber number 223, Nairi Cartwright. Nairi Cartwright. Nairi, it's a lovely name. Yeah. Yes. Female, I'm assuming. I'm assuming so. Yeah. yeah. Nairi, well done. You have won yourself the podcast pack. Congratulations to you. If you'd like to be a part of uh, this little segment of the show, Go to the Clean Health website, cleanhealth.com.au forward slash podcast. Yep. There you can sign up and um, and be a part of, uh, be in it to win it. Be in it to win it. There we go. Yes, another special guest here on Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast with Rawdon and Tom. Rawdon, we're just talking about, um, well, at the top of the show, we mentioned we were having Kamal Patel, yes. who's the director of examine.com. Yep. You and I were just talking then about uh, about that website, and essentially it is a, a resource that we just return to and return to time and time again with actually very little thought as to what goes into the back end of something like that. Yeah, yeah, we do, and... Um how, how does the thing like that evolve? You how know, does it who's, evolve? who's updating the info from from the other end? So yeah. obviously a massive task. Because we because we trust it inherently. We go there and, exactly. and and we can not only do we use it for the information for ourselves, we can distill that information down to clients or yep. during seminars and lectures. So it, it is this trusted resource, and you forget that there actually has to be a human face behind this. Yeah. And we might find out there's actually surprisingly little manpower for the volume of actual data that gets sifted through this yeah. website. It's quite remarkable. Okay. All right. So uh, our special guest on the program. Kamal Patel, he's the director of examine.com and uh, he's joining us from San Francisco, the Golden State, and uh, he's live with us on the line now. G'day Kamal and thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. To get us started, we'll, we'll hop on uh, to examine in just a second, but um, on a personal note, I mean, for you Kamal, essentially, you know, you hold this position in the industry where in many ways you're a, a trusted independent bastion for the uh, the masses of nutritional enthusiasts mm-hmm. out there. So how did you get involved in that? And um, what's your background? How can we, how, how do we trust you in this role? Mm. Well, my background's probably a bit similar to, to some of your listeners. I uh, started out just interested in nutrition for lifting weights uh, when I was in college. 
I think my second year uh, was the first time I ever lifted a weight, and uh, just randomly, this guy who lived in a room next door to me in the dormitory um, yeah. was a power lifter. So okay. yeah. I uh, asked him for advice. He was uh, he was very scary, and nobody talked to him. But um, <laughs> eventually, he was sitting alone in the cafeteria, and I, I went to go bug him. Um, and I went to the gym, and I think my max around the time was around 55 pounds. Um, I don't know what that is in kilos, but it's pretty low. Very respectful. So, uh, so I asked him for advice, and uh, he was way, way beyond what I could do at the time. Um, he was doing a, a West Side powerlifting routine, and he had all the paraphernalia, yep. um, and he was eating extremely clean, whatever that means. So um, <laughs> the main thing I got from him is that most of uh, muscle and fat loss is done in the kitchen, like most everybody knows now. But mm. um, I took that to heart. I gained some weight. Uh, when I graduated college, then... Um, I worked in some different uh, health and public health roles. Then I went back to school for public health um, and then nutrition. So somewhere along the lines, I got into evidence-based nutrition. Um, around the year 2008 or 9, uh, the research center that I worked nearby um, was looking for just any warm body to work on a project. Uh, they had been hired by the U.S. federal government to provide the evidence for the 2010 vitamin D guidelines. Yep. So um, I was just one of those people and I read a bunch of papers, uh, found out that usually what we read isn't anywhere close to what papers say. Um, and at the time I used Examine to find some missing papers that I didn't have. So yeah. fast forward a couple of years and uh, they needed somebody to step in as director and I was around. So I took the role. Okay. Fascinating. Has, has, so Examine's been uh, since 2009, has it? Uh, it's uh, going on its fifth year, so I think it was 2010 or 11 was yeah. the, the mm. first official year. Yeah. And so, Kamal, what are you doing with your? Well, I mean, what are your training and, and body composition goals like at the moment? Uh, my goals are a, a 180 or maybe a 270. I don't know what the right term is from what they were before. So, uh, back in the day, I was a wannabe powerlifter, and. Um, I was somewhere between uh, 165 and, uh, and 185 pounds, always wondering whether to compete higher or lower. Mm. Um, and then before my first contest, I hurt my shoulder, um, had a surgery, the surgery went bad, uh, there was a surgical error, and then I had a few more surgeries. Um, and then I ended up having more surgeries and other things, and then no more lifting. Right. So, so now it's really physical therapy, um, you know, like health maintenance, and making sure I don't go back to being skinny or skinny fat. Um, and that that's my main goal. I see. All right. Okay. That's bad luck there, man. Yeah, but uh, what it did do is it turned me on to um, eating and supplements and different therapies for rehab or for pain and that kind of thing. And um, along the way, I found out that somewhere between age 20 and 30, and then especially between age 30 and 40, um, around half of people who are gym rats get pretty substantial injuries and yes. that's the thing that limits their their gym going not yes. really like they did the wrong number of reps or sets just you know their knees busted or something mm. and and they can't really figure out a way to get over that hump so that's what i'm into now 
there. That's very interesting. Well, yeah, I think you're on the money there. Like, uh, I just uh, scraped through to the uh, 40 plus now, so I guess I'm in, in the clear and I won't have any injuries. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, like certainly uh, I did rupture a disc a couple of years ago, and uh, fortunately it, it, it didn't really. Um, I was quite lucky with that one, unlike yourself with your shoulder injury, surgery after surgery. Uh, I pretty much ruptured it, and then it was, you know, six months later, I'm deadlifting 250, 260 kilos again, and and uh, and everything's okay. So touch wood I've, you know it's just been niggling but I know Tom uh, just this year uh, I, he just tore my glenohumeral ligament in the shoulder very good so oh, okay yeah. that, that's also my original injury yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's a really nice one yes really churns the stomach but um, it certainly uh, took the wind out of Tom's sails. Yeah, it certainly and it does. Really, uh, he really had to. I think you're, you're back now training at a reasonable yeah. capacity, but for a while there, it was all rehab and and quite. Uh, knowing Tom for a while, seeing him get uh, slump into, uh, you know, literally slump his training and motivation really went downhill. So it's mm. uh, uh, really hard to get uh, beyond those injuries. And full credit to you for, you know, being so positive uh, as you are now. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, those few months when you're trying to figure out what you should do and if you can get back and what level you can get back at, um, I feel bad for some people because, you know, if you train four times a week for many, many years and then you can't really do your same routine or even like any upper body routine or lower body, uh, whatever it is, it's, it sounds like a first world problem, but it's, yeah. Yeah. it's upsetting to people. It really, it does, really does, you know, lack of motivation yep. crosses over to other aspects of life. So exactly. You know, you, you don't train with the same intensity. Nutrition falls off a little yeah. bit. You know, just general lifestyle. Things just get a little loose. But it, mm-hmm. it's it's also fascinating to see how significant the the training that you take for granted. Okay, it's Monday, chest day, whatever. Tuesday, boom, yeah. lower body, you know, deadlifts. And then when you're out of that routine, how yeah. significant that that uh, training is in, in, in your lifestyle mm. and how uh, you know to a degree your life's not worth living if you can't train. Almost, yes. you know, it feels like that. Yes, crazy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I remember back when um, I was at a sort of dingy basement powerlifting gym and uh and i would see the old timers you know and they they couldn't necessarily always do everything but they were like old man strong yes Um, yes. (laughs) i never thought that would be me but it happens to everybody yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, awesome well we might uh a bit later in the interview i know kamal you've done some specific research into uh nutrition and uh, inflammation and joint pain and stuff like that so we, we might come back to that a bit later that while we're fresh off the top, mate, why don't we just fig- find out a bit more about Examine? The yeah. website essentially is there to be a, uh, a totally unbiased resource on nutrition and supplementation. What is it about Examine that, that separates it from a number of other resources that we can access online? So, uh, so going back to the old theme of back in the day, uh, back in the day, you know, there's bodybuilding.com. They had a ton of articles, some, yep. some good, some not as good. Um, there was T Mag and then T Nation and yep, yep. you know that line, uh, and then there were other smaller sites. And there's there was good information out there, and there still is. But in order to systematically put out information on a supplement or a nutrition topic, you need manpower and you need some money. So uh, you know not everybody has that. And in order to raise money, people uh, justifiably have to sell things. So oftentimes those things are supplements. Yep, yes. Um, and and that meant that you couldn't necessarily trust literally everything that you find on a given website. And it was really not the website's fault. You know, if you have one person 
that person can't know everything about a given supplement. So, you know, they do the best they can. Um, you can't necessarily trust everything you read on exam 100%. And that's not because we're evil or bad. It's just um, more than most anybody, we know that humans are fallible. So even if you have what looks like a, a really good abstract that you pulled from PubMed, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because uh, study methodology can be very different between studies and then also the context of a particular topic um, is a lot broader than most people can conceive. So like in, in the world of biostats, um, you could look at just one paper and one set of results, um, but if you look at like Bayesian, for example, statistics, yeah. it's based on prior probabilities and what the breadth of evidence before said. Mm. Um, and that's really the the paradigm that applies to supplements and nutrition because a, a new study is only new to the person who's reading it. To the researchers, it's an incremental study that provides a little bit more evidence on a given topic, yeah. you know, starting with in vitro studies and animal studies, then pilot human studies and then controlled human studies and so on and so forth leading up to meta-analyses. So examine.com is really just um, one more level in that. So the researchers do basic research, then human research, and then we interpret that research as best we can. Um, and then it's really up to people to, to draw their own conclusions from what we and other people say. Yeah. I think that interpretation's a, a, an interesting point you make there. and. You know, I guess uh, you'd be familiar with the Brad Schoenfeld and the, the Jacob Wilsons of the, and Alan Aragons of the world yep. that that um, these guys will, uh, Brad especially, I see on his uh, Facebook page, he'll sort of reference a new study come out and then he'll say that it means one thing, but it's still too early to, you know, to interpret the, misinterpret the information and, and draw a strong conclusion. But, you know, he'll say that it's, you know, positive uh, heading in that direction. So I think... Uh, the interpretation in the the results of the study is a is a, a bone of contention as well, and mm. and I know uh, for me, you know, I'll read a study and then I'll read it again and again, and it's, like for me, it's it's really hard to, yeah, the conclusion's so vague, it's it's uh, you know it's the, the the ones that are black and white and say yeah this actually was shown they're great, but all the others are that grey area where it could mean this or it could mean that or it doesn't conclusively prove that, and it's um. Yeah, really interesting reading the the, the, the raw articles off PubMed and trying to yeah, interpret them. Yeah, there's a pretty them. clear line between like the people you mentioned who who read the full text and you know have have a lot of background and and those are some of the you know original um, best research interpreters on the internet. And then there's people who like not to disparage anybody, but you know there's like a, a certain person who has their own nutrition program and. Um, yeah. Sort of training philosophy, and and he's really big in North America and around the world. You know, that particular person, for example, I think a lot of the times they just look at the title or results or abstract of a paper and use it to support their conclusions. Yeah, it's pretty clear to tell who who does that and who's like the Alan Aragons of the world that really knows their stuff. And uh, and you know, we we try to call as much information as we can from those people too. Mm. Definitely, definitely, and and I think there really is, a, 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 you know, again, not to name names, but but a, a lot of uh, people in the industry will, and, and I will name John Meadows, and he he he, 
you know, prides himself on um, being science-based, but also, well, you know, I've done this with 400 clients and the results speak for themselves, you know. So that's that science hasn't actually proved the, the how and the why, but he knows through, you know, first-hand experience that, you know, when he does do intra, you know, workout carbohydrate and, uh, and amino acids and, and, and whatever his particular protocol is at that point in time, you know, it gets great results. Um, now, you know, it's not to say that the the Alan Aragons and these guys that are at the forefront of research in, in that, you know, the supplementation training, that side of thing, they haven't, you know, had a study to prove it yet, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it doesn't work, you know, I, I, and I myself like to do that. I like to draw inspiration from those, the guys that you're talking about who have had that, you know, 30 years experience, and then also draw inspiration from the, the latest research that these other guys are putting out too and, and meet somewhere in the middle. And I think, uh that's one of the most important points for looking at research, which is, you know, there's a lot of things that almost haven't been studied at all. Like the very first study on probiotics and athletic performance, I think only came out a year or two ago. Right. And mm. it's probably a really important factor, but it's going to be years until there's anything really conclusive. And the gut is so complicated that, you know, it actually makes a little bit more sense to talk to somebody like John Meadows. Um, yeah. Or like a couple of the writers for research digest um, have been competitive bodybuilders and they're also researchers. So yes. like those people have trained people and trained themselves and done, you know, sort of personal experiments that might have some insight into what types of things you can eat to support gut health that might yeah. also influence performance. Yeah. Whereas if you do a PubMed search, you're just going to see a bunch of gobbledygook that yeah. won't really translate to anything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great point. Definitely. So. Kamal, taking all of that in mind and, and how uh, open to interpretation a lot of these things are, then what is the sort of the minimum standard that a, a study, a criteria that it needs to fulfill before you guys will actually work with it or, and, and publish it? So the, um, the sort of matrix uh, chart thing we have on our website, the yep. human effect matrix, yes. that's only randomized or uh, controlled trials um, so no association studies or cross-section studies or case studies or case series. Um, and then we also look at meta-analysis, so pooled data. Um, and we don't look at narrative reviews, so no unsystematic reviews that, um, you know, where you do a search and you just pull together results. It has to be a systematic review where you say what your search strategy was, um, you show the study flow of what, what studies made it and what studies didn't make it for which reasons. Um, and then that's the minimum cutoff for what we look at in terms of, uh, of results. Now, if we're looking at mechanisms and stuff, then we'll look at in vitro studies or animal studies because um, randomized trials typically don't go into mechanisms. So you have to go into some of the more uh, bench science things. Mm. And then everything else we, we either really can't get to or we ignore on purpose because, um, you know, some new studies saying that... Um, like there's a, for example, there's a, a compound, a metabolite of a, a fatty acid in fish oil called resolvins. Um, and in mice, if you look at the result of a particular study, then you might think, you know, this thing, a resolvin, was able to almost abolish pain in a mouse. So what's wrong with that finding? Well, first of all, you know, mice are not humans, and then yep. pain is a lot different in humans than in mice. But second, um, they typically inject those compounds like either into the spine for pain studies 
um, intramuscularly for some other things. Um, and then the mouse never misses a dose. So um, it's very difficult to say that something like that would apply to humans. So even if you see some Facebook, you know, posting share about how there was some discovery and some some trial in some animal, we're probably not going to cover it because yeah. we try to cover things that are most applicable to humans. I mean, especially the types of people who read the website. Definitely. Yeah. I guess we should also uh, let our listener who may not be familiar with examine, you know, uh, an overview of what examine sort of looks like. I mean, the the studies that uh, Kamal's referring to and Tom and myself are. You basically have a, uh, you know, you look up look up the supplement, then you'll have a, a ton of information about the supplement and and, and uh, the other names that the supplement will go by, and then also have a look at all the the research and it's sort of listed uh, uh, the matrix like um, uh, Kamal spoke about, so from from uh, A B C I think down to D. Uh, a uh, and you reference all the the papers as well so the individual can look at the uh, level of evidence uh, a being very good b being meh, you know <laughs> give give or t- take it uh, c oh, you're really you're, you're clutching at straws with that one d you know if you really have to you know you can reference this study but but yeah so you get like this nice uh, overview of, of uh, what actually works but then also uh, the effect that uh, the studies have shown like it'll have an arrow pointing up uh, reduced blood pressure yes it had a positive effect on blood pressure or no effect etc uh, etc et so all these uh, different functions in the body that the yes. supplement may or may not influence you also get a bit of a, a guide on all that type of stuff too so it, it really is a, a comprehensive easy to understand uh, almost layman's terms uh, interpretation of the supplement which mm. um, for our listeners that haven't had a look at it uh, just paint that picture for yes. them so that's what the resource uh, examine.com um, supplement uh, uh, resource looks like yeah and I guess off the back of that Kamal for the average punter and our, our listener out there who maybe doesn't necessarily have a, a skill set in interpreting this kind of data what would be how would you advise the everyday man to go out there and, and, and try and make the best assumptions from the volume of, of information that's out there so um, it's actually somewhat similar to what I would do so as a couple examples um, a few years ago before I worked for examine I I uh, went through a period with pretty bad sleep issues so I was you know awake one night unable to sleep and I remember that there were some supplements listed on examine that I hadn't tried before um, and I've I've gone through periods where I've had a ton of supplements, uh, you know, like the big old supplement bin, um, and yeah. tossed them all out. So now I was starting afresh, and I was like, you know, what's really going to work? So I looked at the lavender entry, and before that, I'd only thought of lavender in terms of like you know potpourri and smelling. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but then when I saw the entry, it has fairly strong evidence, at least in comparison to some other things that don't work. Um, And then I knew for myself that melatonin didn't work that great for me. Now I know the reason is that, um, you know, I I don't react that well to normal melatonin, but better to sustain release melatonin because I I wake up after a couple hours with normal melatonin. So um, I was like, why don't I try a supplement, then try another one, and then maybe stack them together if if, uh, neither of those work independently. So I tried lavender, you know, and there's different forms. You can smell it or you can take a pill. and basically what I did is I just went to the lavender page. Um, I went to that human effect matrix and I tried to find the study that applied most to me. So, yes. okay. you know, I was uh, a younger, younger to middle aged male um, and I, I had fairly bad sleep issues, but it wasn't 
consistent insomnia over the course of years. Um, and I, I didn't really care about side effects at the time. So, um, so I, I found a couple studies that applied to me and based on that, I bought a supplement. So what that did for me is, um, if, if I would have looked on, you know, like WebMD or whatever, then there's typically a list of things that physicians might try and then there's not much information for those. Before, years ago, I might have just bought all of those on Amazon and tried all of them. Mm, yeah. So that costs a lot of money and uh, it's probably a lot better, if you, even if you don't use Examine, to find something similar that has actual studies. Because yes. you can't just trust if somebody says, try this, you know, because yeah. often it's try this, it worked for me. And yeah. people are so different that that means absolutely nothing exactly. if you tell somebody that. Yes. And so, Kamal, I, I gather that you guys have also got the um, some of the products available on your site, the, the supplement stacks, and you could use sleep for an example, and it will give a, a range of supplements which work in synergy for sleep, but also based around a, a certain demographic, so you can do what you're talking about and actually think about your particular situation and apply the right things. Yeah, so basically um, the Stack product was our second product. We have three now um, and all our products are just more information. So all the information on the site is free, but then we need to make money somehow. Um, originally what we did for a year or so was have Amazon links on the website. And then we, we realized that, that even though like we weren't advocating for a particular product, um, we wanted no connection at all with anything supplement company related um, okay. or any corporation related. So. Um, we just asked people what they wanted and the second thing people wanted is they said you know I have limited time I don't understand all the biochemistry I don't want to look at the trials but you know I have problems with testosterone I have problems with skin issues you know I have problems with sleep uh, can I just get something that has your recommendations so mm -hmm. we made stack guides um, there are 16 of them the one for sleep um, it says what things have evidence um, and should be the base of what you consider, what things have less evidence and you might want to consider, what things you should stay away from because they might be dangerous or they're just a total waste of money, and then what factors you should consider if you're, you know, like a lot of studies are done only on men or mostly men, so if you're a woman, what should you consider? If you're yeah. a certain age, what, you, what should you consider? And then we ran that past um, like doctors in pharmacy and uh, a couple biochemists to make sure that what we had was right because um, you know, I I see this every day, like I'll be reading something and I'm like, wow, it seems like everybody knew about this and I don't know shit. And it's because <laughs> yeah. you really, you have to have like five to 10 people to understand a broad topic like sleep. So yeah. um, that's what we had to do and that's what we spend our money on, yeah. um, on, you know, hiring smart people who understand things to advise us. I mean, that's fantastic because uh, uh, you probably know firsthand that as much as you know, Western medicine has its place, you know, the, the functional side of things and using uh, nootropics and, uh, you know, herbal formulas and things like that actually have, do actually do, um, actually have a significant impact on, on certain people and, and f things like sleep, you know, to take a sleeping pill obviously has uh, long-term consequences, but um, if you can uh, rectify certain issues through, uh, you know, more uh, herbal, yeah, herbal natural type supplementation, then um, surely that's a better place to be in than, than going down the pharmaceutical route. Um, yep. You, you, you know, for sometimes, obviously, we, we all acknowledge that you know pharmaceuticals definitely have their place, and uh, it's not necessarily uh, you know the information is not designed to replace that, that of a, a, a medical practitioner but you know it can it sounds like examine can give the the um 
you know the individual opportunity to try you know other other ways to deal with certain issues that they may or may not be facing uh, before they actually go and, and, and talk to the GP and, mm. and, and go down that route and this is uh, probably the most interesting time for that because you know we're not anybody's doctor so when people write us then it's fun to talk to them but um, people have complex medical histories so yeah. you can't just yes. assume something is safe or effective for them that being said like I've been to a lot of really crappy doctors and uh, you know like a lot of the times a doctor won't even know that a supplement exists like yeah. um, uh, I was talking to a doctor about uh, two supplements um, creatine and vitamin K2 yeah. and and he shot out two things that were totally false and I felt so embarrassed I, I didn't even want to mention anything like for creatine yeah um, he was saying you know so he, he was a big kind of chubbier guy yep. and he said I'm uh, you know I'm a lot bigger than you so my creatinine is is a lot lower than yours and it shouldn't be so that didn't make sense because if you take creatine your creatinine is gonna go up almost no matter what that doesn't mean your you know organs are malfunctioning hmm. um, and then also like he he didn't have much muscle the more muscle you have yeah. you know the higher creatinine is so he was missing some very basic things there he didn't know what vitamin k2 was uh like he was a, a very accomplished physician so mm -hmm. they they always say and we always say always talk to your doctor mm -hmm. but always talk to your doctor and do your own research and research, talk to people sure. who are yeah. your doctor because yeah. you know no one person knows everything mm. exactly i think that's the point no one knows everything yeah it's you have to sort of take responsibility for yourself and and meet everyone halfway to a, to a degree sure. kamal with the um just the general lack of regulation within the supplement industry and the you know the proliferation of uh, proprietary blends and all those sorts of things given the volume of data and supplements that you've looked at how would you actually rate the overall integrity of the supplement industry so uh, there are some people in the U.S. and New York specifically who are working on possibly changing some regulations um, on a state level. And that came about a few months ago when um, there was a big news story about some of the bigger chains in the U.S. had supplements that didn't meet their label claims at all. And often they didn't have almost any of the ingredient in the supplement. Oh, um, and then... There's a, a researcher um, based out of Boston who actually just came out with a paper uh, with a couple of our interns um, about Yohimbe supplements um, and it just came out this week showing that the opposite was true. So those supplements had a lot more of the active ingredient and were pharmaceutical-like, which could be very dangerous for people taking those. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a no-win situation because you can't really trust quality of most supplements there are some brands that have been used a lot in studies and those are fairly trustworthy but we don't really get into that too much yeah. um the main thing is a lot of, of uh, countries base their policies off of the u.s it's probably a bad idea because in the u.s um really supplement regulation was just created in order not for people to have rights you know consumer rights but rather for supplement companies to be able to make a lot of money and not have to, you know, pre-screen things. Mm. There's two sides to every story because a supplement can't go through the same sort of uh, pre-screening that a pharmaceutical does. It's just too expensive. Uh -huh. But there does need to be at least a little bit more uh, regulation in place so that dangerous supplements and inaccurate supplements aren't out there. Yeah. So there probably should just be a, a complete overhaul of the current system and then other countries should should probably get into that too. And, you know, I don't actually know what the 
Australian or other Commonwealth country um, supplement industries yeah. are like, but I'm, I'm presuming it's somewhat similar to the U.S. Mm. Well, actually, I think they're pretty good here. We don't get anything juicy over here. We don't have your himbin, no, no ephedrine. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's very boring. You know, we have to try and, you know, sneaky, sneaky, get order it in from the U.S. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned your himbin there. Tom had a bit of a laugh, but firsthand, I, I've gobbled some your himbin at the, you know, uh, a recommended dosage and. You know, Man, it was. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was. It was pretty, pretty scary. You know, like it was. It was yeah, it was a horrible experience. And um, and that's actually what. That's one of the things that led to this paper because the physician a few years ago would see people who had mentioned taking a supplement, and then he's like, you know, this wouldn't cause this reaction. And then they started testing the supplements, and they're like. Wow, you know, there's 50 times the listed dose on here. Of course, it's going to make wow. you feel crazy. Yeah, no, it re- really hit me for six, and uh, it was at least a couple of days before I went back on it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, means to an end. But, yeah, yeah. awesome. Kamal, I'm interested, um, given regulations and stuff like that, where you see the future of the of the supplement industry and supplements. Like Rod and I were talking about on the show last week, um, about uh, curcumin phytosome, for example, and I've been taking it for a while and had a real um, a noticeable decrease in joint pain, and uh, just the the delivery method of the of the curcumin being encased in a lipid, which then goes in, into the bloodstream and, and, and is released, and it's just amazing how people come up with this stuff in the first place, and it seems to be effective. So, do you see the supplement industry? You know, do you, do you see it improving? Maybe advances in technology or or more detailed stacks and things working in synergy. Where do you think we're going? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of trends, that's one. So, uh, different carriers. I know um, both for curcumin and vitamin C and um, and glutathione, glutathione precursors. Uh, there's a lot of different mechanisms that are that have a lot higher bioavailability than you know the straight up supplement and there is even forums where people are creating their own like liposomal vitamin c in a blender and that kind of thing so um i think it's kind of cool you know it sometimes it could be dangerous but most of the times it's completely fine and can be helpful like you said with yourself and your joints um another nice trend is the sort of pure formulations actually that might even be a company so uh, unadulterated, you know, uh, <laughs> naked formulations. Actually, yes. that might be a company too. Yeah. But, <laughs> we get the um, idea. <laughs> so basically, like when you look up online, the way if I'm buying supplements on Amazon, the labels that have the most words um, and most graphics of uh, guys with a ton of veins yeah. is typically the, the supplements that are overpriced or don't work. And then <laughs> the ones that have plainer labels and fewer additives, um, those are often really good. So yes. Uh, the sort of plain supplements and the ones where you can make it yourself um, I think that's awesome and there was a a protein company a few years ago um, when I started lifting weights I think like three years after somewhere around there I started you know making my own blends you know whey and a casein and something else and my own sweetener and that ended up being awesome for me because it was cheaper I actually had noticeably better results and I just I really, really liked it, and I hope that happens with more supplements because yeah. um, I, I think it's a great trend. As far as the future, what could happen like in 10, 20, or more years is more targeted supplements, uh, perhaps based on uh, genetic uh, profiles or, or something else. And I know nutrigenomics is just barely in its infancy, but it's probably going to develop uh, to a point in the next few years when m- more supplements will come out addressing like 
you know, uh, vitamin B deficiencies that come about because of genetic mutations and that kind no, of thing. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Okay. So there's hope. So well, why don't we um, why don't we put you on the spot a little bit then, Kamal? I mean, you, you you see so many things and you've read so much content. What would be, let's say, for general health, a list of base supplements that you actually know that do work? So you know, the one that everybody starts with is vitamin D. So might as well start there. But yep. um, it's really vitamin D is actually sort of interesting. So when we were doing the review for the government, then. Basically, they don't listen to us, or they don't listen to us very well. Uh, and part of it is because of dermatologists trying to avoid skin cancer, yeah. which you know I can totally understand. But um, everybody should get the vitamin D tested if you have a mysterious condition, if you don't feel well. You know, similar to how um, guys age forty and up who, who don't who feel sluggish probably get their testosterone checked. So yep. um, if you do have lower vitamin D, then you shouldn't necessarily just go to supplements right away. Um, people near the equator and sunny climates should be able to get a decent amount, especially if they're white. Uh, for darker people like myself, it's a bit more of a challenge. Um, and I, I do think that there's something to be said for being outside aside from just vitamin D. Um, and there's very few papers written on this, but increased nitric oxide synthesis, um, yeah. just feeling better because of um, various diverse mechanisms. Um, and then there's also things that will never be measured in, in clinical trials. Um, like when I was working at the research center a few years ago, um, I was at a hospital and the, the children's hospital was called the floating hospital for children. And the reason was, is um, in the early 1900s, one of the doctors thought, you know, why don't we get these kids some fresh air who are sick? Uh, they, they put them on a, a docked boat and then some of them felt a lot better. So then they put all of them on a boat. Um, and it was like that for a long time and their theory was just that the fresh air and the sunlight helped and then also being near water helped. Mm. So I'm not saying like negative ions are critical or anything like that, but I think uh, don't jump to vitamin D supplements right away. Try to get as much as you can from the sun. So nice. Okay. I like that. As vitamin D. Um, so that's yep. vitamin D. What's so we'll next? So take that one off the list. Yep. Boom. Um, sort of tied for for number two would be other fat-soluble vitamins, um, and the one I'll pick out is vitamin K2. So fat-soluble vitamins work together, um, sort of except for vitamin E, and then a surprising number of people eat fat-soluble vitamins without enough fat, so it doesn't absorb very well. So that being said, if you're going to take vitamin D, either eat things that have vitamin K2, which uh, isn't in very many foods, or take vitamin K2 and see if it makes you feel any different, see if it um, if you have heart issues, if it if it uh, changes your calcium score, um, and then also vitamin A is a little bit overrated slash underrated. The reason I say that is um, uh, vitamin A exists as beta carotene as a precursor, but also as vitamin A retinol. And then vitamin A has been shown to be harmful in certain trials, but that's really only mostly in smokers, people exposed to asbestos, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people actually don't get enough vitamin A. Okay. So um, that's easy to get from food and not supplements. So for vitamin A, you know, just eat plants and the pigments will get you vitamin A. For vitamin K2, um, because K2 is uh, not a nutrient that has a known uh, toxicity threshold, it's pretty safe to supplement and to experiment with. And it's something that people ignore a lot. So I'd say uh, fat soluble vitamins are tied for number two. Okay. And then number three, um, I put magnesium in there. It's not a cure-all like some people say, but 
Um, it's involved in a lot of reactions in the body. Um, yeah. It's generally uh, something that counters other minerals um, and sort of has a more relaxing um, aspect in terms of reactions in the body. So that's why people take it before sleep, for example. Yeah. Um, you don't have to take ZMA. That doesn't necessarily do anything extra. Um, but magnesium is often low in people and magnesium has interesting enough properties for enough conditions and also applies to performance sometimes that I think yeah. it should be in the top three. Um, and then four and five are a little bit harder. Uh, you know, creatine is the one supplement that probably more than half of people respond to. So that should probably be number four or five. Yeah. Um, and then number five, uh, you know, it's tough, but I don't think there will ever be enough studies to justify this, but I'd say trace minerals might be a lot more important than people think. Um, and reason being, it's it's more of a theoretical reason that back in the day, people would drink natural water that often had some minerals in it, you know, hard water. Yep. We drink soft tap water nowadays, so we're missing a lot of the minerals that come in smaller amounts. And there is no incentive for companies to do extensive studies on what those minerals do, like, you know, like lithium. So we're never going to know how much of those minerals we should get and we're never going to know the actual health effects. But um, either taking a supplement, drinking hard water sometimes, or just paying attention to your mineral status in general, I think is pretty wise. So that's my top five for now, but okay. you know, it might change next week. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I like that one, hard water. Yeah, I'm just curious, like where would you come across the, you know, not tap water? Uh, just bottled just water? bottled mineral water, is that what you refer to? Yeah, so um, I tried drinking mineral water for a little bit, but I don't have money, so I can't drink mineral water every day. Um, and then I, I bought a trace mineral supplement for a while, which is uh, boiled down or dehydrated water from a place in the U.S. that uh, ends up being just minerals. Yep. Uh, then I found that that product had a little bit more arsenic than I would like. Um, <laughs> so then, so was a catch. You know, <laughs> Now I'm not. I'm not really sure. Like I do pay attention to the type of water I drink. Yeah. It's not the most important thing, but if I have an issue in my life, sometimes I'll experiment. Like I'll make yeah. a spreadsheet. I'll see. Um, you know, I'll try something for a couple weeks minimum to see if it has any effect. And a good thing to try for that short period is trace minerals because yeah. then it won't be that expensive, and you can see if it has an effect without busting your budget. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Fascinating. I like that. And two weeks stint to see if it uh, has an effect at least. Yep. That's great. Kamal, I'm just curious, uh, you know, with all the studies that you have that you go over and obviously there's many um, placebo groups w within those, do you see an, enough evidence to suggest that there is a, um, a placebo effect or, or, you know, do you believe that the, where the mind goes, the body will follow? Yeah, um, I've definitely seen both the placebo effect and the nocebo effect. Um, so for... The placebo, um, like for example, uh, it's so strong that if you do a trial for uh, pain management and then you give somebody a white pill versus like <laughs> two red and gray pills that have little beads inside, the latter group will feel less pain. So <laughs> That's nice. yeah. it's, it's really important to have the right type of control group um, when you have a medical intervention uh, then the additional um, adjunctive treatments are also important. So uh, like if you do a trial where the doctor gives a treatment or the doctor gives a treatment but puts their hand on your shoulder, then the latter group does better. So um, that is involved a lot in nutrition studies because some studies have 
uh, additional education or they provide like a case manager type person and some studies don't. So studies aren't always all comparable and um, it's very hard to control for the placebo effect. For the nocebo effect, um, the reason it's come up a lot recently is because of gluten studies. So there was one we covered just a few months ago about um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity um, that showed a, a very strong nocebo effect and I think that came out of New Zealand or Australia. Um, and, and that group showed that uh, while non-celiac gluten sensitivity is an issue, um, possibly the majority of people who feel like they have it um, and then cut out gluten are actually under the nocebo effect because when they get wheat again reintroduced, um, if it's done in a blind fashion, then you can feel symptoms even if it's not actual gluten because you feel like you have celiac sensitivity or uh, non-celiac yeah. gluten sensitivity that's so nice. um it, it's really a, a tough concept to pin down but that's why like even for myself i can't trust my own reactions i have to record them in spreadsheets because otherwise yeah. i'll just go with whatever looks better yeah <laughs> i'll just i'll just chime in there i was talking to a colleague uh just through the week uh dylan and uh tommy knows dylan is a guy i'm working with but a strength coach in his own right and he was talking about a, a study on a uh, testosterone two two groups of men and uh you know, it was something along the lines of uh, one group was just you know the 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 white pill with nothing in it. And one was actually legitimately testosterone, and but uh, they said that uh, something along the lines of they were all getting testosterone, and um, they didn't tell the ones that weren't, and then all their lifts went up, and you know they they got super strong in the gym and training, you know, intensity was all markedly higher, and then they told uh, you know one of the groups that it was actually wasn't testosterone, and then all their numbers went down, and you know they they got injuries, and uh, you know they they had nothing and they couldn't train, but it was just uh, fascinating that getting into that uh, placebo and that perceived uh, the power of the mind, I guess, at the yeah. end of the day, it was uh, but li- like fascinating study. I've asked him to send it to me so I can actually see it, but uh, you but know there was a time a few years ago when. Uh, the, there was one time in my life when I was a personal trainer just for a few months and I had a client that did really well, um, you know, one of my only clients and he was trying to lose weight and look better for his wedding and then before his wedding he just got right back in the shape he was in even though he was still going to the gym. So I asked him what was up and he said, you know, I didn't change anything. Now thinking back on that, I don't really believe him because, you know, the personal trainer is like a placebo trainer because you train yes. really well when you're with somebody and then you probably eat better and once you don't have a trainer it doesn't matter if they know anything about nutrition now you're like on your own and mm. you know yeah. you're subject to your own willpower and yeah. it sucks to be you so yeah. placebo yeah, yeah. fascinating yeah. the power of the mind and i work with a lot of competitors physique competitors getting ready for stage and the ones that uh you know uh progress really really well are the positive ones and the ones that have self-doubt and i'm not going to be ready in time and <laughs> Yeah, you know, lo and behold, they're actually the hardest to get in shape. You know, it uh, yep. definitely has some carryover there. And Kamal, uh, I guess with the spreadsheets and everything that you uh, you knock up, I mean, are you particularly fastidious with nutrition, or you just give yourself a little bit of leeway here and there? I give myself a lot more leeway than I like to admit. Um, <laughs> I have a big sweet tooth, and uh, uh. Um, when I did train, then you know I would go years without eating dessert unless it was like a birthday cake. But then. Uh, once you get back to normal life, maybe this happens to people when they're in their, you know, 50s and 60s and not training as much, um, or you know, if if you have a family. But it, it's hard to it's hard to avoid. It's also if you have a strict diet, then um, that can really, 
jeopardize your pleasure. I think mm. a lot of people online are kind of crazy for advocating yes. um, diets that don't taste good because you can have a diet that tastes good and be healthy. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, I think palatability is a is a cool concept to explore. So um, eating plain foods to sort of reprogram the mind to interpret hyperpalatability differently is cool. Yes, so yes. like I did an experiment once where uh, for a month I, I ate, you know, like kind of plain potatoes, not, not a lot of salt, um, uh, plainish chicken, green beans and that kind of thing. Okay. And then by the end of that month, um, carrots tasted really good, you know, yeah. uh, and the green beans tasted a little bit sweet and it was really cool. Yeah. So I thought that I was the king of the world until I had a cookie and then the cookie was, you know, the new king. So, um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have any like awesome, uh, life changing truths there, but yeah. I do like experimenting because I would never have known that, um, during that month, I didn't just experiment with less palatable foods, but I also didn't use the internet for leisure. Um, yeah. and that changed everything. You know, I did use the internet for work, but then when I came back, and I did use the internet for leisure, then I was like, how do people stop themselves from checking Facebook all day? Cause yeah. there's, there's nothing to stop you. It's yeah. so enticing, little shots of dopamine. Yeah. Um, mm. It's, I don't know how the next generation is gonna deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Just before we uh, wrap things up uh, today, mate, uh, Tommy did mention at the stop, top of the show, sorry, that uh, you're obviously dealing with uh, ramping down information with your injury and whatnot, and uh, we we're going to uh, cross back to that uh, for our listener. Any, uh, in your experience, Tommy uh, said he, the, the fighter zone, curcumin, was, was, uh, had a significant impact for him. Uh, did anything uh, supplement-wise you, you, you find being very, have you found being very good uh, in reducing inflammation for yourself with, uh, with your shoulder injury? So, um, my, mine was a little bit different because it was the first surgery produced a mess and then uh, supplements uh, really couldn't enter that, that mess, it was mm, too complicated. Yeah. But um, from evidence, um, like the first thing really is uh, curcumin and then if you're taking it, you know, plain without anything. Uh, I don't know if most people realize, but it, it's not useless. It will possibly help your gut. Uh, I won't get into your bloodstream necessarily. Um, so sometimes, like I worked for a physician a few years ago where he prescribed both uh, or suggested both um, regular turmeric and powdered form for the gut, for gut health, and then yep. also um, with an absorption um, increaser like black pepper extract or, you know, in your case, uh, uh, lipid encapsulation. Um, and then if you're going beyond curcumin, um, and have particularly interesting problems. There's one thing I try to mention in every podcast, which is vitamin C uh, typically just is thought of in terms of um, immune health. But yep. uh, have you guys ever seen the show House? House MD? Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. Yes. So, uh, you know, House is a big jerk. Uh, reason he's a jerk is because he has really bad, bad pain in his leg. Yeah. Um, and there's an episode where uh, his boss um, slash lover puts him in a, a ketamine coma because he gets shot by a patient who's angry at him. When he comes out of this coma brought on by ketamine, he no longer has pain. So um, when I saw that episode, I, I noted it down and then a few years later, I actually found the trial for it. Um, there's a very terrible pain condition called uh, RSD-CRPS, 
uh, reflex sympathetic dystrophy or chronic regional pain syndrome. So um, when you have that, there is no way around it. Uh, it hurts worse than anything. So on the McGill pain uh, scale, where giving birth is uh, somewhere around 25 out of 50, this condition gets up to around 41 or 42. So it's wow. very bad. Um, there's really no treatment, but the way to prevent it is a lot of the times taking vitamin C of doses of 500 milligrams or more over the course of 30 days after your injury can prevent it. So there's been trials for wrist injury and some other injuries where um, that's the best way to prevent um, that condition from coming on. And the mechanism is really uh, possibly mostly to do with antioxidants, but also some mysterious nerve-related things because the condition comes about from um, unfettered uh, nervous system adaptation to pain, which keeps feeding forward. So sometimes people get injuries and then it just gets worse and worse. And the way to prevent that is vitamin C and there's almost no other known way. So I'd have to say, um, just take it. You know, if you get injured, it, there's, there's no um, downside if you take it in moderate doses yeah. and there can only be upside. So okay. curcumin, awesome. um, vitamin C, and then other inflammation related things, a lot of the times have to do with the gut um, or with endogenous um, antioxidant systems. So boosting your own glutathione, for example, um, either by taking a supplement or like cold processed whey um, has cysteine, uh, cysteine, E-I-N-E rather. Um, and that's one of the only foods that can boost glutathione other than like raw eggs. So okay. those types of things um, are a roundabout way of decreasing inflammation, but often more effective than supplements that are targeted at inflammation directly. Fascinating. Yes. Vitamin C, that was a good one, man. Yeah. Okay. We'll make note of that one. Yep. Um, and anything new coming up for you, Kamal? What are you researching these days? So uh, what we're trying to do before the end of the year or possibly end of next spring is finish all the nutrients um, so that if you want to look up any nutrient, then we'll have all the trials, human trials for them. Um, but then our website is undergoing a, a rehaul and the new design will come out hopefully in the next month or two. Um, and it'll be a little bit easier to use. The language will be a little bit easier to read. Um, I'll be the first to admit that if you just go to a random examine page, it's very hard to read some of the entries. So yeah. we're trying to make it more user-friendly and something that you could you know, tell your mom or your grandma to read and she would at least yeah. somewhat understand some of it. Okay, Perfect. that sounds, that sounds awesome, really good. Okay. Look forward to seeing that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kamal. That's absolutely fascinating, mate. I really enjoyed that interview and, and got a lot yeah. out of it. I'm sure our listeners will as well. And it's really my pleasure. You, with, we, we do appreciate your time. Uh, have a lovely evening. Enjoy your magnesium and uh, we'll be in contact. Yeah, mate. See you soon. Nice. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks, come on. Bye-bye. Yep, bye. Bye. Oh, well. The chicken snitty sang has just arrived in the studio. Yes. And doesn't it look good? Very good. Huh? After uh, after the Kamal interview, maybe a little Dilma tea there at the side. Uh, you know. <laughs> Dilma. Um, well, what a fascinating interview there with uh, Kamal guy. Patel from uh, examine.com. Yep. A heap of stuff to walk away with, Rawdon, but his uh, top five supplements, yep. vitamin D, uh, ideally in conjunction with vitamin K2, uh, yeah. and, and the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin K2, vitamin A. He's got that looped in at, uh, yeah. at number two there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, number three, he had magnesium. Well, that's a go-to for us too, definitely. Four, creatine. Yep, staple for my my clients. Yep, outstanding. And then five, the trace minerals. 
Yeah. Uh, Touch of the chassis there, maybe. Touch of the chassis, yeah. yeah. I think maybe the electrolyte blend might take care of that. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, but a fascinating interview, and we thank Kamal for his time. Uh, you also mentioned the um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which we Hot spoke topic, about Tom. earlier in the Hot program. Topic. Straight off the press. Y- yes. <laughs> yeah. We're at the forefront of uh, science. <laughs> yes. Lab coats on, of course. And uh, that has been the program Under yes. the Bar with Rawdon and Tom. Send us through any emails you have to podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. We can answer your questions. You can bring up some well, topics. We can try and answer well, your questions. We'll dance around the question. Yeah, we really won't answer it at all. <laughs> Just polywaffle. <laughs> Thanks for your time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.